0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Dead Cat. We've got Eric Newcomer here, Welcome. Katie Benner, and me, Tom Dutton. Uh, joining us this week is our good friend Reed Albergati. Uh, Reed, longtime business reporter, uh, we worked together at The Information for a few years. Reed is also a veteran of The Journal and The Post. Uh, launched the sports section at The Journal, right? You're you're part of the founding team there. Are you I was for that.
1: Okay, I was. Okay. I'm so excited to be on here. I'm just, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of your podcast. You guys are awesome. Not because I know you, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> I'm excited to have you read because
0: what I like about Reed, the reason that you're our friend is that you're an interesting person to talk to. Like a lot of journalists are excellent, like fact gatherers, like that's the skill, but I think you're an interesting thinker. Like I always want to hear your opinion on things. Uh, and you're not as cynical, I think, as a lot of jer- me. You're not as cynical as I am. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's a good topic to have you on today because we're going to talk about a story that you that you broke as, I believe, the first official story for the new publication that you work for, which is Semaphore. Um, you're the first sem- Smith
2: And Justin Smith's new publication that's started uh, advertising on my Twitter feed incessantly and is preparing <laughs> for a buzzy launch this fall.
1: Yeah,
0: they have a real semifhornian. I
1: we haven't actually decided on official an official term for what is it semaphorian or semaphores? Sema semaphornicators. Maybe we can
3: <laughs> maybe your listeners can write in. You speak semaphorese. <laughs> I yeah. like it.
0: Yeah. Uh you guys should you guys should license californication by the chili peppers and make that your like launch song. Semaphorication. <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's, we, it's we, generationally we, appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We can't afford that sound drop right now. <laughs> so Semaphore, do you want to give us? I mean, you know, Eric said it's it's uh it's the Smith and Smith Co. Smith, ben Smith has been a guest on our show, but do you want to give us like the rundown on what Semaphore is and and why we should be excited about this as the newest beacon on the media landscape?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's a new it's a new publication, and it has a couple of things that I think are different than what other people are doing. And one is, it has this international angle. So the thesis is that. There's this underserved English-speaking audience around the world that doesn't, you know, trust or want to read the local news. Um, They're looking for, you know, news from outside the country, from trusted sources. But, you know, the big publications that they might read are not really writing for that audience. They're writing for an audience back home where the publication is based. You know, we've already launched Semaphore Africa, so we're going to hire people in African countries who are based there and will write stories that you know we hope are interesting not just to you know Western audiences but audiences in africa um, and then the the goal is to eventually expand to lots of different places and then you know i'm I'm covering technology, so you know what I think is is exciting for me is that we're also going to experiment with story forms, and so we're going to sort of separate out the facts the news from the analysis. And so each article will have, you know, the reporter's viewpoint. And really the the reporter's viewpoint, in my mind, the reason that's valuable is not so much because I think people care what reporters think, but because we want to be transparent and not have readers kind of guessing, okay, what is this person's angle, you know, based on who they decide to quote and how they frame, you know, certain, you know, sentences. And then, you know, we'll, we'll offer other points of view too. So here's an opposing point of view, or here's a here's a different way of looking at it, or here's a, a way of looking at it from an international perspective. So the way I think of it is sort of like every story becomes kind of a discussion around the news that you broke <laughs> rather than sort of here's here's our publication's worldview, and this is the only way of, of looking at it. And, you know, Ben was actually in the Bay Area last week, and we were doing a bunch of meetings. And one of the people we met with Reached out the next day and was all excited about this idea and referred to it as our Talmud approach to news. Which Tom, I know you'll get. Um, <laughs> but, I just uh, just a lot of chin stroking as you read the article. <laughs> <That's> the idea
0: <laughs> well read in yeshivas in New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's my
1: long-winded explanation. Yeah,
0: you guys are you guys are publishing Semaphore in Aramaic now, so you can get well read <laughs> in all those highly educated uh, uh, Hasidic schools. Exactly. Here's the rabbinical view. Of yeah. Today's news. I like it. And and so it's it's because the article that you wrote, which I believe was the first official article, it didn't even launch. Right. In... You
2: guys were like, fuck it. It's it's like uh, we're gonna publish before we're even ready to go, which is always fun. I remember the information
3: to that with Amir. Right. He was right. just getting so many scoops on Google and their cars that they were like, we're just well, gonna that's be
2: back when we were publishing on JessicaLesson.com. Yes.
3: yeah, Yes. Jessica brought to you by Amira Fradi <laughs> was yeah. I think the branding at the time.
0: And by the way, that is <laughs> my website is still up. I, I was looking at it the other day. When I, yeah, because I saw Reed's scoop and I was like, huh, I wonder what the story is with, you know, JL.com. But uh, but so the story that you wrote, though, like does that reflect the semaphore style? I mean, are you guys still workshopping it? Like did you, are you, yeah, I mean, is that is that a
1: preview of what's to come or just kind of like you had to get the news out? I think there are some clues in that story for for what the forum's going to be like. We didn't really break it out into sections and we're still experimenting with exactly how that's going to work. We're sort of writing articles. I mean, we're writing real articles, but not publishing them and sort of just kind of to test what it's like, you know, writing in this form. I think you'll notice that in the Medium article, I did did sort of include more analysis with, with the news. And so in that way, it is kind of a it is kind of a taste of what's to come.
2: All right, let's not just have second order conversation. I th- The actual story itself is... Right, right. I'm sure the
0: audience <laughs> is screaming right now be like, what the fuck is the story? <laughs> the <that> story itself <laughs> <needs> to- <laughs> is actually interesting yeah. and hopefully the heart of this conversation. The, the story is about uh, Biden's executive order on China that basically puts the screws to the country and brings us closer to something that I would describe as basically a trade war between the US and China over tech. And then, so you have the scoop on the order. The order actually does come out uh, a couple of days later. But Reid, why don't you just tell us what you were hearing as you as you got the scoop, and you know what the nature of the conversation was on China and the U.S.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would if I would describe it exactly like putting the screws to China. I mean, I think what they what the Biden administration is trying to do is kind of walk this tightrope between. You know, there's there's China Hawks who who kind of believe we should completely decouple with this country and have you know so that they have zero leverage because essentially, in their view, a war is coming. Um, and then there's, you know, the more moderates who kind of view that at war as, you know, somewhat of a possibility, but you know, decoupling and and taking extreme um, you know measures will essentially hurt U.S. business, hurt U.S. interests in the short term, and maybe even increase the chances of, of war in the long term. So what Biden is planning to do, and the, the order that came out is sort of related, but not exactly what I was writing about. What they're planning to do is add more controls on investment that you know, comes out of the U.S. and goes to China. Um, the order the other day was sort of the opposite. It was expanding. You know, the CFIUS, which regulates inbound investments from China. So this, and what was sort of interesting to me was that there was actually an article in The Information. They broke the story on Sequoia China, which is the a separate but related to Sequoia in the U.S. Uh, investment firm, one was of the most raising powerful like investors
2: eight. in the world. At one point. There were fears that Sequoia China was almost like too good relative to Sequoia U.S., where it was like, should Neil Shen, who who runs that fund, be in charge of Sequoia overall? Then, of course, this whole geopolitical thing got much worse. And I think it was le- much less likely that uh, U.S. would lose its grip on Sequoia overall. And so we saw Ruloff uh, take take over. But, but yeah, a fascinating mini drama inside of one of the most powerful uh, or the most powerful venture investor in the whole world. You know, u s. and China.
1: That's right. I mean, yeah, and Eric, you probably know more than anyone about that. And I think what was interesting was in t- inside the National Security Council, when that story came out and got sort of passed around, it sort of raised alarm bells. It's like, okay, this storied, you know, hugely important investment firm in the u s is now, like amid all the tensions with China. this was back in February, is now, you know, doubling down on their their investments there. And I think it kind of, lit a fire to push to push this agenda forward. Some of this was actually originally in the CHIPS Act or what became the CHIPS Act and then was removed. So this is kind of an attempt to do it with an executive order. And what I hear is they want to do it before the midterms. And there's a couple of other orders too that we wrote about, which is, you know, one is something related to uh really to TikTok. It won't, these won't name TikTok or even China probably, but they're really that's what they're really targeted for it's an attempt to kind of reduce the data collection or sharing of foreign firms with, you know, that are, that are owned by parent companies in other countries. So it would essentially create some kind of firewall between the U S TikTok and China's TikTok in terms of data collection. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a middle of the road approach. I mean, if you remember Trump actually banned TikTok, which turned out to be illegal, and it wasn't, you know, they eventually it was going to be sold to Microsoft and then you know the whole thing fell apart and Oracle I think,
3: I think yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: and Walmart oh, the <laughs> there of were a lot of, and then
3: I think I was bidding on it for a second there
0: too <laughs> yeah, yeah Benner appears as Dark Horse Canada to <laughs> own TikTok US it's when the
3: price really plummeted I felt like yeah.
0: I could go in there with my 401k yeah very interesting consortium Ooh, listen
2: K- K- Katie ran her college radio station at one point right you're well equipped to
1: you know if
2: you can DJ you can DJ uh, <laughs> video consumption for for, for the Western Absolutely. world.
1: But yeah, I mean, that that never happened. And, you know, I think what they're hoping, what Biden's hoping is that there's a way to do this legally um, and still accomplish to the ban same thing. To ban TikTok legally? No, not to ban it. They don't want to ban it, from what I understand. Mainly because that's that's not legal. I mean, there, there, there are protections in place. You know, the First Amendment is one of them, but there's also this Berman Amendment, which... Uh, is sort of a Cold War relic that limits limits what the president can do in terms of blocking communication between countries. <laughs> so, you know, while we were fighting this Cold War with the Soviet Union, we wanted also to allow people to talk to people in the Soviet Union because that benefited us. Like, basically, you can't stop someone from sending, like, Animal, animal Farm to the Soviet Union right. is The way is the way I think of it. And so you know, TikTok is, I think the the idea is to sen- essentially bifurcate the communication part of TikTok from the data collection. That doesn't exactly get around the fears of TikTok being used as a, you know, a, a weapon, um, an information weapon, like a propaganda tool uh, by China. Right. I mean, that's the fear. I'm not saying we know that I it is. I was going to say
3: it's so interesting because first of all, I think that Siphius is a little bit misunderstood. It's not a tool meant to ban investment. It's just a tool meant to like say, what are the laws and how do we make sure this investment complies with the laws and mitigates risk? It's it's not and it's it wasn't created in order to prevent investment from happening. So this idea of TikTok being in discussion to get this over the finish line is simply like, how do we make sure we're in compliance and everyone's right. comfortable? It's what Reed's talking about, this bigger fear that China could use TikTok as a propaganda tool to push information into the United States and then control the minds of of tweens that I think is sort of the more interesting idea, because some might argue that YouTube already does that and it is owned by a company in the United States of America.
1: Well, I think the U.S. government wants wants their, wants their propaganda tools to be owned by U.S. companies. <laughs> right, <laughs> understandably. Really, right. And more or less, you know, U.S. media companies specifically. But it's
3: not that foreign countries haven't been able to use things like YouTube and Facebook to push propaganda. Right.
2: Exactly. I want to argue about TikTok, but first, I'm very happy Katie brought up CFIUS because I feel like that's, that's key to it, and sort of the board. Like, no
3: one has ever been happy that anybody's I, ever I brought know, up Cypriots before. Committee, <laughs> like, we, we, we define it very committee quickly. Committee
2: on foreign investment in the United States. Is that yeah. right?
3: It's interagency. That's true. It's a committee. So keep in mind, it's a like when you think about the government, it's like a little, it's nesting dolls. Inside it's the, of the ultimate like deep state, like in a certain in, way. It's like, like the all Treasury the government deciding. It stands for Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. That's literally, it's a committee that looks at foreign investments coming into the United States. It's interagency. It includes the Justice Department's National Security Division. It includes the National Security Council, which is housed in the White House. It includes National Security Advisors. And of course, Treasury, because Treasury, their larger overarching desire is for investment that will benefit the United States to happen
2: for the, for the longest time like softbank was very mindful of cybias because there are all these worries about like artificial intelligence and and there just lots of sort of chinese and asian investments very worried about sort of big stakes from from us players over the years
3: well they also look at real estate and i think that cybias actually was much more active in the real estate space for a long time than in the tech space and it's only be, not only but because since the 90s with our deepening relationships with countries like China and our extreme, as Reed alluded to before, our extreme dependence on China, <laughs> for like the the business dependence on China in terms of intellectual property, just on things like supply chain and on things like manufacturing has grown. This is even before you get to something like a consumer app. You know, CFIUS became, I think, in the minds of people who even know about this ridiculous acron- acronym. Became really twinned with technology and.
2: So, in the most layman terms, Cifus, the main the main piece of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, has been sort of defense related yes. technology.
0: Right, you don't want you know yes. a Russian or Russian oligarchs buying, buying a majority stake in he, Lockheed Martin. Right, something. exactly. But yeah. so then, this executive order is expanding
2: Cifus's power in some way, right? Or, reader, Katie, do you
1: what's What's the new power that Sifias gets?
3: Yeah, read. I have this? not read the EO, so you'll you'll tell us how this has changed Sifias.
1: No, I mean the latest the latest executive order. Okay. Well, the one that the one that came out a couple of days ago, um, which is not actually the one I wrote about. It's a, okay. it does. Well, that, oh, okay. No, so I mean the New York it does Times expand. has one about a different executive order. Yeah, that's that came. It's it is related to Sifias, and it basically expands the you know, the mandate, like the types of things that CFIUS should look at. So it's kind of like a, like, hey, look at a broader, look at a broader number of of things here, like, like biotech, for instance, is something that now, you know, they should look at. So the way I think of it is like, that executive order deals with inbound investment. What I was writing about deals with outbound investment, which right now, there's very few controls on. They would also expand export controls. So like the f- types of things that US companies are not allowed to send to China and other, you know, countries, problem countries essentially would be expanded. And then there's the data thing. So I think what you're seeing is there's there are ideas for new types of, of t- like totally new categories of regulation, but also expansion of existing ones like CFIUS if that makes sense. Reid,
3: can I just repeat that back to you to make sure I understand? So in the executive order just published, CFIUS, which is this review processing, what can a foreign company invest in in the United States? That is saying there should be more categories that CFIUS reviews simply because technology has changed so much. So maybe there was a time when the idea of a Chinese investment firm buying up shares of an agriculture business wouldn't be a big deal. But now because of the role that agriculture plays in national security, it seems like a bigger deal. So there should be more there or more in medicine. And then what you wrote about was this idea of money flowing out of the United States and into foreign countries and companies. Is that right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, you got it exactly
2: And what, so what's the level of ban are they really going to ban the foreign investment or what sort of...
3: I don't think anyone will ever ban foreign yeah, investment. Yeah, what's, what's,
2: what's the stop. restriction then? What's, what's, would, what are I they going to do? I use the term
1: regulate. Like, it's just going to be scrutinized. And, and it'll give the power to basically the White House and, you know, probably other agencies as well like the commerce, Justice Department, and Treasury, and Commerce. And, yep. Yeah, to sort of look at these investments. So basically they'd say, okay, so Sequoia it has this, this Chinese arm. Like, is that even, it's a separate entity, so can we even regulate that? Like, let's take a look at right. it. Right.
0: See, that's my question with the Sequoia thing, because so far as I understand Sequoia, China, it's affiliated. But the LPs in Sequoia, China are in China they're not US based and it's an RMB denominated fund so you know there's obviously some sort of almost like licensing agreement between Sequoia US and Sequoia China but it doesn't strike me as like you know the the endowment funds and and hospitals that are part of US venture capital funds are going to be investing in you know the next bite dance in China right yeah
1: well i think i think they're actually worried more about investments in things like semiconductors and artificial intelligence quantum computing they're worried that U.S. money is going to help China like advance their right. technological know-how. And and it's not just... I think there's a fear that also with those investment dollars comes you know expertise, right? I mean, Sequoia would be able to lean on it. They, they have a huge network of, of people in these fields and could sort of help these portfolio companies.
3: And it really impacts joint ventures, too. So for a long time, there were a lot of joint ventures between U.S. and Chinese automakers, manufacturers... Companies like, you know, Bechtel, infrastructure companies, and a lot of IP gets passed and knowledge. To Reed's point, like one of the reasons why there's this big like fear of Chinese espionage in U.S. corporations is because they want the fact that we have advanced knowledge in so many areas in order to benefit
1: the, right. the Chinese government. Right. Yeah. I think. I think also just to take a step back. I mean, Katie, what you you know you do a good job of sort of like explaining the background, and I think the other thing is just you know, with the chip shortage, with the supply chain problems that came out of the pandemic. I think that's just, it's so front of mind now how vulnerable we are to, you know, disruptions in the supply chain. You know, most of the advanced semiconductors come from TSMC in Taiwan, which, you know, is, is being threatened by China now. So if China took over Taiwan, theoretically, I mean, they could cripple US industry, right? There are these now fears that I think, you know are pretty are pretty drastic. So I think I think this is like these executive orders. When you think about if you think of it from an extreme perspective like that, like they're not exact. These executive orders are like are very measured. I would mm-hmm. say. I mean, there's there are people who really want even tougher restrictions. Wouldn't you say, Katie? Right, and the
3: restrictions aren't going to help because I think I agree completely. And I think one of the reasons why restrictions alone won't help is because we're looking at a geopolitical problem. So like, if the issue is that. Relationship that Taiwan, ha- that excuse me, China has with the greater China region, stark, strict business restrictions are not going to really do too much if China does attack Taiwan. In that case, it's like what we should have been doing is investing in our own high tech manufacturing chains act, here right. in the United States. Exactly. Because it's not just manufacturing, you know, there are a lot of companies that are not as impacted by the idea of instability in the in the greater China region notice I say greater China China region so as not to get a censor from the mainland but
1: um, but
2: we're huge by the way mainland China so thank you for that we're huge
3: in mainland China this
2: podcast
0: is adamant
2: that Taiwan is an independent country. I don't know what you guys are talking yeah. about. Uh,
0: yeah, our affiliation with Dead Cat China has actually been a very successful joint venture. <laughs> it's really
3: more of a branding exercise, though. Let's be real. So, yeah. But so like garment manufacturing, those those supply chains and those manufacturing those factories that's work that's like lower skilled labor and you can move it to malaysia you can use move it to pakistan we can
2: all go naked for a couple <laughs> the, of months while we're getting but the, but,
3: the, but the manufacturing for something like chips is actually extremely high skilled labor for which nobody in the united states is trained and i say this you know my dad used to work in high in high skilled manufacturing he worked in a, an industry that doesn't exist anymore so you know r.i.p but There's no training to work on those factory lines here in the United States. So it's not just a matter of building the factories. It's a big educational challenge. And so I think that, you know, again, going back to Reed's point, why be super strict and restrictive when the bigger challenge actually is here in the United States and like filling in those both supply chains and manufacturing?
0: Right. And let's be clear about what's happening here from the broader perspective with tech is that there's been kind of a hangover. There was this like ecstasy over the fact that we could export so much of our chip manufacturing to China, to our hardware manufacturing to China. You know, it was this very lucrative seeming market for a while for U.S. tech companies. And it was
3: coincident with the idea that China was going to get technology, become more democratic, join the WTO and basically shed all of its global ambitions to take over the world that it's had for centuries, thousands of years. Anyway, yes. keep going.
0: Yeah, and so so yes, certainly that didn't change over the course of a couple of years of you know bringing a middle class into China and having a bunch of manufacturing and you know different provinces. But now I think there's just a huge what I'm just sensing talking to people in in tech is that there's a big uh, I say like hangover or or regret almost in what we have empowered within China and the fact that yes, it has allowed for cheap manufacturing for a lot of U.S. goods in the tech sector, but there hasn't been a level playing field. We can't use China as a, a market. When I say we, I mean, like U.S. tech companies can't use China as a market to release their their apps and services. It's It's been a disaster for most yes. U.S. tech companies that have expanded their, you know, And Airbnb. not just
3: manufacturing. Yeah. Airbnb, Apple. Can you imagine like when Russia invaded Ukraine and Apple's like, we're not selling anything else in Russia. Fuck that. Can you imagine Tim Cook saying the same thing? Read what is the like revenue? We're, North, North America still number one, but isn't, China's still number two for Apple. It's like forty oh, or thirty five yeah, percent of all of its revenue.
1: Definitely, I don't know if it's thirty five. I have to look at the latest numbers. But, um, like Tom said, I'm an ideas man, not a facts man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. No, it is huge, and not. It's not just their revenue, though, right? I mean, if if they couldn't manufacture in China, that would cripple. You know, right. that would cripple the company. I and mean, the only thing that kind well, of absolutely. Apple It's, just, has, it's just
3: like everyone thinks of manufacturing, but like we sell a lot of shit to middle class so Chinese so people. <laughs> we sell
1: a lot too. Yeah, I think I think the thing Apple has in its favor is like it employs a lot of people there. So that's like the... I think that's the one thing that's sort of right. keeping Apple like... Well, Apple from knows like,
2: how to have... It needs leverage too, right? Sure. One of the few, right. Like a company that can actually have some leverage, you know, over a country. Obviously not... A, and obviously it's a beloved consumer product. So there is... Chinese people want to be able to buy it too. It's a sign of their global status,
1: right?
3: But what leverage does Tim Cook have, though, if there is instability and or violence, right, right, government right. to government violence right, in right. China? Like just because he employs a lot of people, right, they're not going right. to do it.
2: Totally.
1: No, I yeah. think if I think that's it. I mean, if that's the only leverage, it's like, hey, if you you know if you hurt us, you're hurting you know a bunch of jobs in China, and to the extent that you know the government there is willing to you know accept the loss of jobs like that's that's kind of it i mean i i agree to
2: me the core issue here is yeah the the inability of american companies to compete fairly in china and the need to sort of turn the screws to china until like to me i'm i'm less like oh we need to get rid of tiktok as we shouldn't have tiktok as long as like uber can't compete in China and the, the failure of the American government to say, okay, if, if businesses need to can operate here, then our businesses should operate there. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I find it hard to believe the U S government doesn't have the tools to say like in a given industry, if we're not allowed to compete in that industry in your country, you can compete here. Like I, I, I would, I'd be shocked if American law makes it impossible to say like, I mean, on like, car manufacturing and stuff. Aren't there all these sorts of like, like we get to look at how how you treat our companies in order to decide how we treat yours? Like, I I just don't understand why social media and and China is is the exemption here. Well, I
1: think, yeah. I mean, I think you're talking, I I don't think you're wrong. I actually don't know if you're wrong. I think that the, the issue with banning TikTok is that they've they've done it using AIPA, the, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which is the framework that Trump used, and that is the framework that the Biden administration will use in their executive orders as well. Right. So they're not Let talking Facebook about Facebook.
2: Fuck up the Chinese. <laughs> we, we need to, to terrible facebook scandals in china it's only fair like if we're gonna have TikTok, like i i just have them both in both countries just sort of running rampant do you think
3: if we get rid of TikTok, that we would no longer have political manipulation on social media
1: no but it would be american companies doing right. it
3: by foreign countries though i mean like foreign countries can obviously use facebook right. to manipulate I like, citizens
0: i like the idea of facebook Coming to China now after they've been like, you know, drunk on TikTok and and whatever the version of TikTok is. It's not called TikTok in China. But you know, you know, it's because it's such a it's such a And keep in mind,
3: TikTok is extremely restricted in China. Like they (laughs) there's like I think it's not just that we can't put Facebook in China, it's that we can't have our troll armies manipulate TikTok so that Chinese people see terrible things about their government and get mad. Whereas like, you know, troll armies in, you know, Eastern Europe can infiltrate Facebook and make us see things that make us really not hate one another.
2: I I, I also think people might make this into some big, like, foreign policy thing, which maybe there is. But just the fact that on sort of the minutia, that TikTok is a Chinese company that already has all these strong speech controls over how creator, you know, they don't say suicide. They say all these contorted things. And maybe that's the right idea. And maybe an American, but but it's crazy that one of the most important cultural apps in the United States... Has the norm set in China now? Of course, I guess this is what every European thinks every day. It's like why why are Americans deciding like the terms of the speech debate uh, here in Europe? But it's crazy crazy in America that like such nuanced speech codes are being set by a
1: Chinese company. Well, I thought it was crazy during the uh, the Hong Kong protests when you had people in the NBA. I mean, the NBA was being you know their speech was being set by. You know the Chinese right. government at that point. Right. Remember that I think scandal? LeBron James it
0: legitimately was... believed that. Actually, I think he was uh, speaking from the heart oh my And God. he was like, "Yeah, let's let's start looking at both
1: sides here in these Hong Kong protests." Okay, that's possible. Actually, <laughs> so, I mean, you have a general manager from some NBA team who's you know no, probably has no connection right. to, to China whatsoever who says, "You know, I think democracy is a good thing right. in Hong Kong." And like, Daryl, that's Moore, it. Like the, the NBA is out of China. <laughs> I mean, do, it you, is, do you remember, by the way,
0: uh, when um, John Cena was giving some press conference uh, in a movie promotion, and he mentioned Taiwan uh, in a way he shouldn't have, and then later had to release a, an apology for it, and did it in fucking Mandarin, like they they <laughs> had him speak uh, as close to as a, you know, a hostage video yeah, as you like, can get. Like
3: China, China does not need TikTok in order to force people to report right. with its norms around how you speak. In China, yeah. like yeah, they, they've taken their <laughs> most
1: powerful wrestlers and made them say whatever the fuck they want. <laughs>
3: Brought them to their knees.
1: I was covering Apple when Apple pulled its app or pulled the app that was it was like the Hong Kong protest app that was allowing protesters to see where the police were. And I get a call from Apple PR, and they're like briefing me on this, and it's like basically Chinese propaganda. It's like we've banned this app because you know these protesters were. Using it to hurt We comply police. with the <laughs>
3: laws in the countries in which we operate.
1: Yeah, they're like, we've been given like credible evidence that this States. is being used. Yeah, and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm on the phone with Apple and like they're just basically giving me Chinese propaganda and trying or to get me to publish it. Well, and your whole
3: supply chain is in China and, you know, it's your second largest revenue generating market. You better believe. That's the thing. This is what I find so fascinating. You know, in the beginning you said there are two competing visions, you know, one is to be more hawkish and the other one is to believe that, that will just hurt business. And it's like, well, can't these things both be true? Because I think that there's going to be a moment where what happens in that region just hurts business full stop, whether or not we've been hawkish. For sure.
2: Just to make a zoom out observation about the ideology that we're shaping on this podcast. <laughs> I do think, I do think there's a reality that like,
3: I'm a war hawk. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: no and I think this is shared, but I, I do think there's this growing question of whether we really want tech companies to be responsive to local governments, right? On the abortion issue in the United States, it's like, how deferential do we want them to be? Do we want tech companies to be deferential in China? I think like the left and sort of the pro-government crowd has for the longest time held as like a virtue that the government can bring companies uh, under their thumb. But I think there's a rising question of just who, whether we want these independent tech companies to be sort of (laughs) sovereigns to talk like biology or something and say, sorry, screw you. We we don't have to follow any one country's laws.
3: No. And I think another way to look at that, because I think that's exactly right. I think another way to look at it is where are we right now in in history, right? So there was, I think many people would say comply with the law. But then if you look back and it's the year 1955, if you had companies stand up and say, you know what though, we actually don't, we we don't agree with Jim Crow and we're not going to follow that law. We're going to break that local law. I think there are some people who would have thought that was the right thing to do in terms of history in the 80s. You know what? We don't like apartheid. We're not going to follow that local law. We're going to not do business with you. People would say that's right. So with questions like abortion, do you want any U.S. company, much less a tech company or any other, flouting a local state law if they think that it's wrong? Or do you want a large multinational company saying, you know what, we think that what's happening right now in this other place in the world, and keep in mind, we have a lot of data points to show that, um, you know, imposing U.S. mores and morals onto another country doesn't always work, Afghanistan. But, you know, to say like, should we be so upset by a human rights issue or whatever that we're just not going to comply with this with with this right. country's laws? And I think that that's an open question now because we're still figuring out what's going on historically.
1: It's funny to me, there's so much press on what these companies do in these other countries and the censorship that they're willing to go along with in places like Russia and China. And yet it hasn't really changed anything. And it's sort of like apartheid was a was a big public push, right? A, like a public pressure push. And that's what really kind of turned the tide. I mean, mm-hmm. it happened on university campuses and it spread to... It was
3: consumer up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Consumer up. And like, it doesn't seem to be happening now. And I'm not really sure why. But the other thing I think about is, and this is maybe taking it in a direction you don't want to go, but like, this to me is the biggest, the best argument for something like a new internet, like a decentralized internet that can't be, that can't be censored. Because and I I don't know what that would look like and I don't know if it's technologically feasible but that this is like what I think about when I free think free tornado cash you know right. you can't what ban I, a
2: technology or whatever right know? i
1: mean what i think of what i think of you know censorship in the internet it's not like facebook saying you can't say nazi or whatever it's it's this stuff it's it's these countries around the world that are able to essentially manipulate you know, the the base, the pipes of the internet um, and these large corporations to, you know, to basically bolster their regimes. And I think it's something we should be talking about more. Totally.
3: I'm curious, like, could you expand on that more? Because that's something that I feel like I hear said on Twitter, but then I scroll past it because it's not enough. It's I don't, I'm like, it's only 140 characters. I keep going. Like, what, what, how would that, like, just how would a decentralized internet, for example, either free companies or prevent companies from giving into what, say, the Chinese government wants.
1: Well, I think, I think the idea is it would get rid of those companies. <laughs> it would supplant <laughs> them. I mean... Would to be you know, uncensorable? I mean, because
2: if you're like... Yeah. You, if you, the government has to go off each user instead of saying, hey, Facebook, like, chase down this user on our behalf. You know, it's like, if every node is sort of independent... Uh, then you have to go after the user, right? I mean,
0: yeah. It will reminds me in a way of like you know music sharing at the you know at the beginning of the twenty first century, where it actually was fairly impossible for the record labels to stop Napster. They had to sue people individually, and what basically solved it for them is that things got centralized again, and music downloading was taken up by all the major tech companies, mostly Apple. And suddenly, even you know, I mean, first of all, it put it into like a legal space, but also centralized it. And it seems like what you're talking about, Reed, would again sort of decentralize things in a... I don't want to simplify it too much and say like it's peer-to-peer again. But that's the idea, right? Is that it's kind of individually these, you know, the the data and the conversation is transmitted across smaller groups of people. Uh, exactly. And yeah, it,
1: would, it wouldn't involve large centralized companies. And I think if you include things like satellite internet along with like decentralized protocols that wouldn't allow for control, I think you could see theoretically a world in which, you know... It's impossible to, to... I mean, and that would create other problems too. I'm not saying that's a utopia, right? I mean, there are certain types of speech that probably should be censored, right? Totally. You know, I don't know. I'm just... I'm throwing it out, and
3: there. it's not just speech. It's also like this larger question of like what makes us feel like we're part of a community. So sure. I was like, for something else, I was just rereading this Liz Bruning op-ed that happened after Uvalde. It was like the country that kills its children and has no hope, or I just butchered the headline. But basically, part of her thesis is that we do live in a society in which we face our future together, and I would argue that the more and more and more we live online, decentralized. Allying ourselves with communities far away from one another, and sometimes not even the United States, I think it's an open question whether or not we as Americans want to face the future together and figure it out together and feel like we have a shared stake in it. I think with the more important thing, that even if you don't want to face the future together, you realize you have a shared stake with your neighbors. And I think that the more and more and more we erode at that, the harder it is to see a country trying to solve anything together. So I think it's not just like the matter of whether or not some speech should be censored, which I would largely agree exists. That's of speech exists. But like, as we decentralize ourselves from our physical place, what impact does that have on our, whatever it is on, on our community?
1: It's pretty ironic to me that once you had the ability for anyone to communicate with anyone, basically on social media, et cetera, we actually became Much we we were driven farther apart from each other, you know. Yeah. Well, because the tech itself is not really, especially when you look
0: at TikTok, it's not that much about person to person communication. I mean, the idea of following is almost going out the window in favor of algorithms. Because the way people prefer to use TikTok is just like showing their interests and then having the robots figure out for them as it goes on. I mean, we had had this really interesting conversation with Taylor Lorenz a couple weeks back where she was bringing up this, I thought, kind of amazing moment at VidCon, you know, like the influencer Comic Con, where all the TikTok stars that were there had basically no lines of people. They had no fans. People wanted to line up and see them because people have no attachment to them. It's just sort of entertainment that shows up in their feed that, you know, gives them a moment of dopamine hit Joy, and then they move on to the next thing. And, and I think, I don't really know what the point to this is other than like, I don't think social media as it was conceived maybe in in Zuckerberg's conception is that relevant anymore. And we're moving away from connection as the main force of these platforms because that's not what the platforms are optimized to do anymore. They're just optimized to, to get watch time essentially and give us moments of entertainment. I, so it's, fundamentally,
2: you know, I, I'm cheering for the erosion of, like local community over global community like what yeah i'm i'm more aligned in ideology probably with this striver chinese elite who are like Doing business all over the world than the person who's like happy staying in their hometown in like middle America,
3: which totally is fine. I'm just saying that once you start, re- once you start saying, "Well, I just have more in common with these people," do you then have the community will, whether it's in your town or your state, to pass a gun control law, or you're like, "Fuck it, this is just the world we live in," <laughs> right. and that's the issue. I'm right. not, I'm not saying that like, of course you have more in common with people who aren't. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Vermont. You grew up in a small town in Georgia. We probably have more in common with one another <laughs> than we do with a lot of the people we grew up. <laughs> then we in. would leave. But... Right. Right, that we would but leave is the, same the key time, thing. There are still things that, because I'm old, I still feel very con- connected to a small, much more blue collar town in Vermont than I do in a lot of ways to the people I spend a lot of time with in Washington, D.C. or New York. And I think it is that connection that makes me want to solve a problem like, well, I don't want kids in Vermont getting shot. I think that's bad. But the more and more I don't have that connection, then I'm like, eh, it's I icky, think part but. of our
2: problem is that we have these old, the government is set up, like, we have a bunch of Californians upset about what's happening in, like, Alabama, Mississippi. And it's just, like, to some degree, the, the composition of our government doesn't really align with the society. It would be better just if we just, like, had yeah. governments that were more reflective of the populace. I mean the the minority rule in the United States being a being a key problem and I'd to solve that I'd be more inclined to split it up than to live under minority rule, you know?
3: Yeah, and you're right. Like so if people like I think education's an interesting problem. Like very wealthy people in California and New York and stuff started trying to buy local school board elections in states where they thought they could make more of a difference than California and New York. But it's sort of like well, maybe if you felt a little bit more <laughs> attached to your community, you could just try to solve the problem of that state. Right, right. Like state governments and sort of like what's going on in states has been really impacted by the phenomenon you just described. But I mean, I think it's another version of, well, the more we see ourselves as detached from our communities and more you know, like-minded with people who are not anywhere geographically near us and we want to affect change at that level, there is still some governance happening below. You just are not attached to right, it. Right. And then you get kind of surprised when... <laughs> won't work out. Right.
1: But back to how that related to TikTok and Tom's point about the line, you know, the no, the the short the short lines or no lines to see the TikTok celebrities. I mean, I think there is something about TikTok that's missing that kind of that that attachment and I think that that's not that that's going to be their Achilles heel, but I think it's important to remember that you know, there are all these new apps always coming up and, you know, the youth, whatever the youth culture is at the <laughs> time, like gravitates toward these apps, right? And like, I remember it was interesting at the Code Conference seeing Evan Spiegel up on stage getting all these questions about TikTok. And I, I could almost see like him thinking like, well, that I was TikTok, you know, like four years ago. Like everyone was like, Snapchat's going to take over the world. And now it's sort of this also ran... And Facebook is still just as powerful as they were then. And, you know, I, I could totally see that happening with TikTok. I mean, eventually, I like, I don't see that becoming the new Facebook. I see it becoming more like a Snapchat in the future as some new thing comes out that attracts uh, the young people.
0: Yeah, I, I actually had a piece this week that showed that uh, TikTok's year-over-year growth is slowing. So hmm. it's not like, you know, I think there is an expectation that it's going to continue on this torrid pace forever. But, uh, you know, that's just not possible in terms of the law of large numbers. And there probably is also going to be like a generational issue at some point with the the users. There was a pretty fascinating hearing that happened this last week. Uh, It was another one of those, you know, Congress drags a bunch of social media executives and and, and browbeats them for like a couple of hours on C-SPAN 2 type hearings. But this one was interesting to me because Vanessa Pappas, who is the COO of TikTok, was there. And she really got a grilling uh, from a lot of the uh, top lawmakers, including including Josh Howley, who uh, basically, I, I mean, he went like toe-to-toe with her. Well, it's not really, can we really go toe-to-toe with the senator? But basically, he was trying to get her to answer the question of like, how many people in the CCP work for TikTok or work for ByteDance? Which, you know, she's like doing her <laughs> best to avoid that question because, you know, we don't give... You know whatever party affiliation test to people that join the company.
3: Plus, like I don't know all of them. But also all of them, right? There's like I don't think you have a choice. I don't think you can be like ah, I'm Chinese, but I'm sort of like not into the like I I (laughs) I support a different I support a different political party in China. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm I'm with the Greens actually in China. (laughs) There's a lot of Greens over in (laughs) ByteDance. Uh, no, there's a bunch of... I'm sure the place is mostly full of, of you know, CCP members. And, and she's, like, well, doing was the avoid. alternative. It's well, it's there like, is no
3: alternative. You are yeah. a CCP member, yeah, for, yeah, essentially, yeah. if you're a citizen in China. You don't get right. to be like, fuck it. I'm a libertarian. It's obviously
1: an insane question. I mean, you're saying this, Katie, but, I mean, it's, it is the wrong question. Because totally. if you ask people if you ask people in the U.S., like, at you know, how many you know, how how often do you like comply with national national security requests from the US <laughs> government when it's like, it's like, well, all the time, like, that's what we do. We're Americans. Right. Like we're going to support the American government. Totally. I think that it's, it's just like all these things about like, well, there are laws in China that force these companies to share data if they are asked. And it's like, we basically have the same thing here. It's just the difference is you know, we're a country, we're a democracy, we have rule of law, you know, obviously there are flaws, but like, you know, we're not. And we
2: trust our government because it's ours. I mean, to some degree, I think what we're saying is we don't need the questions. It's like, it's obvious. Like, yeah, yeah. China is a controlled country by a single party that's like hostile to the united states in a lot of ways and like why do we need to interview tiktok about their policies to come to a decision
0: like either it's like we're okay well because they want the audio bites they want, right. they just yeah. want the video <laughs> clips right and the sound it's bites. just like yeah, do it or don't but like
2: i don't know what information you're getting out of this like
3: because well, josh holly's gonna probably run for president and so he's gonna use that clip what
2: clip <laughs> it, it would be great if a republican had you know a policy agenda i'd love to see it you know Peter Thiel actually gave an interesting speech at uh, the National Conservative Convention. And he, while of course most of it was spent criticizing the left, which he basically described as like the California ideology, the, the sort of rallying cry of this speech was that Republicans are fundamentally running on like... Nihilism. They don't have any real agenda. They need like a substantive policy agenda. So it was, it was sort of, I, I'm not the only one saying it. I'm saying Peter Thiel is also critical of uh, the lack of a uh, Republican agenda uh, at the moment. Anyway. Right.
0: Yeah, the Peter Thiel ideology, though, is like getting lots of like German blood infused into like our eldest, smartest Americans so that we can rejuvenate our, our thinking class. Okay,
3: okay. Moving yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, anyway. I, like that, I like that articulation. It's yeah. funny. Yeah.
0: No, but but anyway, just to finish it off with, with TikTok, I mean, I feel a little bit for Vanessa Pappas over at TikTok because she's really just like a punching bag for these people at this point. And, and I don't think she has... That's a ton what of she's thing. getting paid for. Right? Well, right. that's also
3: the role of anybody who goes before a congressional panel.
0: Right. But she in, in particular, because she has no control over this app. And what we've seen with, with, with TikTok. Is they've tried over and over again to put in all of these safeguards and transparencies and things that they claim can do to avoid like some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of incursion on American data. But when it comes down to it, this is a company that is owned by a massive Chinese. You know, a, a massive Chinese company whose, like, own CEO is sort of afraid of the CCP. Um, And so there's just no way you can put any sort of safeguard in there that's going to, one, pass muster in the U.S., but also meaningfully change the fundamentals of how this company works. And so it, it's all kind of an insane kabuki theater that, I, I mean, we sort of touched on this earlier, but I just don't see how it doesn't end towards some sort of, like, amputation and of Casey TikTok.
2: And you read his pieces saying that he thought a ban was coming or, or did he say it expressly? Or? It seems like it's getting bipartisan,
0: right? I guess that's, right. That, that's sort of the point is that you're seeing now, I guess ban is a tricky word because as you, you know, read and Katie pointed out earlier, there are like First Amendment issues when it comes to that. But I just don't see how we're not going to end up revisiting the entire cycle that we had in summer of 2020 where it really looked like TikTok was going to have to be amputated. It would
2: have been funny if Trump did it. Like it's classic Trump that it's like, do, try it, do something, you know, like. It's
1: complicated. Well, he couldn't do it. I mean, he tried. Right.
2: You actually have to be able to get the bureaucrats below you to to do it. He was basically going to lose.
1: Yeah.
3: He actually had to work through the levers of government to articulate an actual threat. Like, he's like, like, they're a threat. But then the people on this committee have to actually show where it is a threat.
1: He was going to lose in court. But the bipartisan point is a good one. I mean, if there are new laws created, right, the right law could potentially indirectly or maybe directly result in a, a, for all intents and purposes, ban of TikTok, right? I mean, that could happen. Um, But I think anytime you're talking about laws and bipartisan, you know, like high profile (laughs) laws being made, like it's a big if, right? So I'm not holding my breath, but I do think something's going to happen. I also, I wanted to ask you guys though, what you think about this? Because I, I have this question all the time when it comes to data and TikTok. It's like, well, we, we read all the time, you know, uh, the New York Times does a great job of writing these stories about the data that you can just buy on the open market about people that's been yeah. collected from all these firms and then combined. And it's like, couldn't they just buy this data? Yeah, I mean,
3: China's not restricted <laughs> from buying that data. So they all kind of don't need TikTok for collection. That is the thing that, like, I think that no politician wants to say because everybody's trying to run on this issue. But, like, China literally does not need <laughs> to have any apps in the United States, it can just buy the data collected from all the other apps in the United States that then bundle it and make a significant amount of their revenue just selling it. And that is fine. That's an open global market because hackers buy it, criminals buy it. (laughs) Why not the Chinese government? There are no restrictions.
2: I feel like my concern is it's not about the data, it's the control to me. I mean, not to, I mean, I know people talk about the data, but like, if TikTok said, "Oh, we want Americans to think twenty percent more about sports and twenty percent less about politics," because that's in our like, that would have a huge impact on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there are a lot but, of like but subtle. Facebook
3: already do that. Like, doesn't... yeah,
1: Katie makes a good point. Yeah,
2: but at least Facebook does it. Facebook does it because of some like you know terrible corporate interest. That's but but to have Fa- to have TikTok do it. Where it's like perhaps in the national interest in some subtle way. That's like, that's a real I, power. That's, like, that's, like that's what like the CIA Facebook, wants. You know, so Facebook like Facebook
3: has real power too. And right. It's, it's, but it's I think, American. I, I mean, but it's American, but that doesn't mean it works in American interest. The idea that Facebook is working in American interest <laughs> has been disproven right. so many times.
2: Download like, Ben Shapiro into your veins, like the no, Facebook I way. Just, I
3: mean, just the amount of effort it took to get social media companies to not show all of those beheadings that were being used in ISIS recruitment for months and months and months, and they refused to take them down. It's like, anybody could tell you that that would be in the national interest to not be used as a tool to recruit for ISIS. And the tech companies were told that. And they even agreed. But they were like, there's a lot of traffic to these beheading videos. So, I mean, I don't think that you could say that just because they're American companies, they're working in the American interest. But I think
1: this argument that you two are having right now is the right argument to have because if the, if if Katie's right then there's really no point to to doing any of this until like any of this TikTok stuff until you shore up the whole market right like you have to fix data collection on the whole from any company and you have to fix the abuse and of manipulation of social media f- whether it's based here or anywhere else. If
2: my face is going to get spited, I want to spite my own face. I don't want someone else spiting my face.
1: We
3: we could be in a really funny position where TikTok is far more regulated and far more safe than any American company. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Right. It's like you're in a sinking boat and (laughs) there's a little tiny hole. (laughs) It's like you have a little tiny leak that you're plugging with your finger. And meanwhile, like there's just waves crashing over (laughs) the side of the boat and, like, sinking you. It's like, what's the point?
2: Right.
0: I can see it. I want to see the moment in America. Let's just go down this road where they somehow magically do decide to ban TikTok. The like twenty four to seventy two hour period where the teens are like not allowed teens? to use TikTok.
2: What am I going to do? I'm going to be like alone with my <laughs> thoughts. We're gonna have like a little revolution. It's like what are we supposed to do now? Well,
0: like, if if you're smart, you'll lead that revolution because I think there's going to be <laughs> tens of millions of people who are going to go through serious withdrawals that'll have no idea, you know, how to manage themselves on a you know an hour by hour ba- minute second by second basis. Uh, it'll it'll be a crisis of its own. You know, it's like <laughs> it'll I invest be a crisis in opioids for five minutes until right you know, the (laughs) rise of yik-yak again or something. Just wait it out. (laughs) That's right, right. Uh, Okay, so in our last couple of minutes here, I I thought we could uh, do a a sharp sharp swerve away from tech and talk a little bit about uh, philanthropy. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about Patagonia? Yeah, sure. It's a controversial article now.
3: It, that's why, okay, why is it controversial? Explain that part to me.
0: Okay, Can we just qu- quickly define it before yes, we, yes. we go yes. into the conversation? No, 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 okay. Define, okay. define F- what, tell what and tell me why it's bad. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to this part <laughs> of the episode, you've read it multiple times. All
2: and you're arguing about it hopefully somewhere, some DM thread. Or-
0: okay, so the CEO of Patagonia uh, decided to sell his company to uh, a trust, a sort of trust and series of nonprofits that will basically... Push all of the company's annual profits, which are like $100 million a year, to go towards efforts that are to fight global warming, just pro environmental causes. He still uh, has voting control of the company, but it it sort of has raised the question again of philanthropy and whether or not this was truly uh, an altruistic way to take his largesse and fight global warming, or he just wanted to do a giant tax dodge and uh, avoid putting that money through the levers of public control that would have probably done just to
2: be clear the extent it's a tax dodge it's that he didn't like sell his company it's it's not like he's using this to hide taxes it's that if he had exited in a normal way he would have had a big tax bill which to me is a pretty big intellectual contortion as a tax dodge a tax dodge to me is normally you have a tax bill and you pay less on it because you're using the tax system not just like
0: you're not selling something you're not making money off of it yeah there there's there's uh, complications around that in multiple ways <laughs> and also i do think we can just add very quickly here that this is like a couple of weeks after a republican or conservative billionaire one of
2: the bad guys
0: yeah one of the bad guys basically <laughs> the same thing uh donating his uh his 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 company to a, a 501c4 oh yes which all of that money is going to go towards you know fighting you know, transgender bathrooms or some shit like that.
2: Well, yeah, against voting rights, against climate reform, against, um, you know, what's the third pill? Helping, oh, helping the uh, fucking the Federalist Society or whatever or sp- stack the court with Republican judges. So, yeah, yeah
0: it's, like, it's like Godzilla and Gamera uh, of billionaires uh, on on the left and right. Just but, to
2: spoil my framing, if it's not obvious, yeah. this to me okay. is the obvious, like good, bad, what's the difference with journalists? And it's like, anyway. Oh.
0: I, I want to I cut to Reed read on this point because, uh you know, longtime uh, outdoorsman, uh, wears a lot of Patagonia, <laughs> lives in Marin County, the Patagonia capital. Yeah,
3: Reed is the only one among us who actually <laughs> enjoys nature on a regular basis. <laughs>
1: the rest of us just sit Do you <laughs> disproportionately buy from Patagonia for your outdoors wear? I, I don't think I own any Patagonia stuff, but I do... Look, I think I think uh Yvonne Schonard is like the real deal. I think we we kind of all agree on that, right? I mean, we're not the argument isn't whether he's I like do, but I have people who are like
3: this is why I'm so curious. I'm like, what's the controversy again? But keep going.
1: The controversy, I think the controversy is framed, it's it's more like it's more of a um the criticism is more a media criticism, right? Because the New York Times article, the tone of this this article about Chenard is like very different than the tone of the one about the Republican donor, and right. it, and it basically the David tax-
2: Gallus at the New York Times, who is
1: like what he, his column was. He's like, a
3: columnist, so he has a voice. He's blah, a blah, professional blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. of writing very positive things about billionaires. I think there's one. I think there's one question in the <laughs> in the New York Times article, and it
2: listen. I've said enough not to get hired Katie's by the New York Times right at now. this point. I, uh,
1: <laughs> I uh, no. I think that he. In describing the tax liabilities, he sort of described, I think the argument is that that I saw f- from some tax experts on Twitter, is that for all intents and purposes, the tax liability issue around what you know, the Patagonia situation and the one with the conservative company is basically the same. And yet Gell's described it as, you know, Schonard ba- basically paying all of his taxes and not trying to avoid any taxes. Whereas the other one was described as, you know, a series of unusual financial <laughs> transactions to yeah. avoid taxes. And dark money. I think there's a question there. But see, the dark money part of it, that criticism doesn't make any sense because they refer to the Republican as dark money and Schnard as you know whatever a philanthropist and there's a very different a big difference there because the Times basically uncovered that whole all those transactions it was they, dark they were you're right it's like if you if you give away if you, if you give away your money right and you say... she just gave it to Newsmax, <laughs> it would be a totally different narrative. That's yeah, like money. And you announce it. <laughs> no, if you say, I'm giving away my money... to a
2: thing everybody likes.
1: <laughs> no, it's not that. It's like, if you say, I'm giving away my money, and here's what I'm giving it away for, and I'm going to do a press release and an interview about it, and everyone can know, then is it really dark money? Whereas in the, in the other situation, where you had this Republican donor, you know, it had been secretly... Transferred to a five hundred one c three, and then secretly sold to another company, and then the proceeds were secretly transferred back to this charity, and it was like it was all done in secret. And the only reason anyone knows about it is that there was some insider who leaked the tax record. So, to me, that's the the difference. Is it five hundred one
2: c
0: three or five hundred one c four? Five hundred one c four was the Schwinnard. I, I don't. I'm assuming. Yeah, I think it was the same thing
1: with the. These are both.
2: They're not like nonprofits.
1: Because they can no, do it's, political it's, work, right? It, they it's basically basically are able to give unlimited political donations to PACs, right? Yeah. Which could be, you know, if you wanted to, could be secret, right? But the difference is Patagonia doesn't want it to be secret. So I think that's the I think that's a huge difference. It's like if your paperwork basically allows you to to be dark money, but you don't want to be dark money, so you announce it and do a big article in the right. New York Times, that's then you're not dark point. money anymore. That's my that's my opinion. And I this and is I that emailed the rethinking fair. we told you about yes. in the beginning of the interview.
3: <laughs> We've, he's deployed it.
1: <laughs> I actually did reporting on this for this podcast. I emailed Patagonia and I asked, like, do you, do you, you know, are you going to basically be transparent and like tell us if there are any other donors, you know, or if you give to super PACs? And they basically were like, Yeah, we're, you know, we'll tell you what we do. But they have no reason to not be, right? Because their whole brand and their whole you know, thing is like, you know, they want people to buy their stuff because they're doing this work, this particular work, whether you think it's good or bad. Whereas on the Republican side, it's like, there's a lot of obfuscation, a lot of, because they don't really want their motives to be known, right? They want, there's like all this astroturfing that goes on. And so I think that's the, I mean, you might agree with what they're doing ideologically and that's fine, but like it is all done in secret and that is the dark part, right? I guess like my, argument here also i mean I, th- th- there's the
0: other part of this which is like are uh you know 501c4s or trusts and and other kind of nonprofits the best stewards of this capital in order to fight global climate change rather than just going to the tax right. rather than just having government say well if
3: companies aren't going to pay their fucking taxes and let the government distribute it i guess it is what we've got
0: Aww. right but it seems, I mean, it gets complicated. I mean, we did just pass a huge climate bill. To be
2: clear, I mean, are we? I, we're so used to nihilism about the federal yeah. government. <laughs> and let, let's not right. forget. We're like, let's we did pass forget. a lot.
0: <laughs> right, we did, did, did right. we did do it. You know, but, like, but like, there's no question that the actual ability to fight climate change, which is a global apocalyptic issue, you know, requires deals made between like, you know, India and and China and like huge emitters of of carbon into the atmosphere that no, you know, nonprofit or trust is actually going to be able to stop. Uh, so if you if your true goal is to stop this global issue, I don't really think this is a matter of like billionaires putting a little bit of, you know, or all of their money towards these private institutions that are going to be, you know, they're not going to negotiate with the Indian government. to so like have them invest more in renewable, but it's multi-pronged and like, <laughs> well, I mean, multi-pronged I in what with sense. you, Tom.
1: I agree completely. Patagonia is not going to solve climate change, and they're probably not even going to make a dent in climate change. Hmm. I think yeah. I think what it's really about is it's like companies never have happy endings. <laughs> and I, I don't think Schonard wanted to become Ben and & Jerry's and have his company sold to Unilever, you know, which is what happened, like against their will. And then all of the things they stand for basically go out the window. Cause like eventually that's what would have happened. Like Patagonia would have been, if he didn't do this, they would eventually just been bought by some private equity firm and they'd be sold in target. And like, you know, none of this stuff he stands for.
2: Sam lesson had a provocative argument that I think is correct. That basically if they wanted to maximize the help for the environment, they would have sold the company, taken the cash and then do whatever they want. And that paying out whatever, like a hundred million dollars a year is not the best way to help
0: the environment. And, like, I think Wouldn't key-
3: he then just get a one time payment? I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: But, but the company, I, I think, think they give he- it like a VC, you know, it's just like, oh, better exit if you sell rather than if you go to a.
2: Like, trust. is the company really going to be w- really well run in the structure? I think an- a key piece of this is. Well, he's is still that running it.
0: He still has voting control, right?
1: If the company's well run or not well run, who knows? But. Like that's like saying the Harvard endowment should just be like a one-time thing and like they shouldn't invest. <laughs> just blow in, like, it all, just, yeah. Absolutely. Just get a giant <laughs> pot of money and then just spend that money for the next hundred years, you know? it's cool. Doesn't make any sense.
2: But I think part of the issue is that Patagonia wants to run the business in a way that it's like a great deal. You know, employees get paid above market and treated better than they would expect at another company. So there's sort of two causes of Patagonia. One, that they think the company running as it is is a good thing. In that, like, they have a community of people get treated well and they believe in their products. And two, this the environmental payoff, which used to be what the family got paid. I mean, I think it's a pretty good... I think this makes sense. I mean,
1: it's nice to have a company where people get but Totally.
3: Like, Patagonia's goal was to have happy employees.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They were one of the first companies to do that, too.
3: Right. Their goal was not to be Walmart. Right. And it was that bad. Like, it's his company. It's his... He wants to... He's like this is my company this is my goal
2: if we're so cynical that reporters can't be like this is what being good in business looks like i just feel like we have we're or like we we're, we're both sidesers we're just like part of journalism is yeah. trying to clarify and if we're like so confused if we're like oh i don't know we need to just like question everything you can't be like oh not taking the money for yourself giving it to a cause that most people think is good Setting up a company that's good for your employees, being like Reed saying, being transparent about what you're doing and proud of it, and saying, I don't want to be rich. And it's sort of tacky to be so rich. Like those are good things. We should praise those. And if we can't do that, journalism is failing and we're just like quibbling losers. Totally.
1: I totally agree.
3: (laughs) Or it means that we've been brainwashed, especially as business journalists, into believing that maximizing profits is an ultimate good and that there can be no other good.
0: Right. If you think of it as like private equity, you're just like, well, he left money on the table. That's effectively what that's saying. Right, yeah.
3: exactly. And that's and I think that like that even that way of thinking, it's funny, there's a book on Milton Friedman that came out I think last year or the before or the year before that really attacked this idea of like of profits and virtue being the same thing, and I think there's another book that's coming out soon that sort of, from a different angle, from like a more data-driven angle, uh, attacks the same thing. So I think I'm hoping that there's a cultural shift away from this idea that has had a stranglehold on culture and on business reporting. As I'm as guilty as anyone that maximizing profits maximizing profits for shareholders is the ultimate good and right, your ultimate right. duty as a CEO. And if you're not doing that, you're doing something wrong. And I right. hope to God that idea dies a fucking death. The
2: company still needs to be well run and profitable to Absolutely. pay off.
3: Absolutely. To pay you, off. Can, you can be well, Ben and Jerry's is a great example. It was a well run company right. that made money. but it, it just didn't it maximize profit. Well, right. Max,
2: you can go round in circles about this. There was a great presentation at code. I read, I don't know if you watched it by, uh, NYU professor, um, whose name I'm blanking on, that just like the ESG shareholder capitalism movement, I think is somewhat manipulative and gives CEOs a lot of control to justify ESG, ESG, you know, environmental, social, like, like these sort of stocks that are picked based on how like good for the environment they are. But like, somehow Tesla's never on the list and like... Uh, like right, right. gas, oil, and gas companies are. I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't know. Anyway, I I still think I believe in profits, but I think this is aligned with like a profit. Well, I was going to say I don't. I never thinking.
3: said in anything I just said that profits are bad. Okay. I mean, I'm saying that we believe as business reporters that maximizing profits above everything else. So paying right. your employees as little as possible, not giving them healthcare, not giving them constant <laughs> schedules that they right. can rely on. Right. That those we we
2: root for the profitability. It's because it makes it subjective.
3: penny has been squeezed out of this company. <laughs> right. And that to, and that to go from, you know, making like, two dollars per share in earnings versus a dollar 80 because you wanted your employee to have health care what the fuck i, I think, mean like i don't that-
2: think most business reporters have this ideology. we went through this whole, we're, we have all these labor business reporters we had all these like, no no i
3: i, I disagree but we, we with you don't, we, I disagree don't, with we don't intend we
2: don't intend to have
3: the ideology we don't intend to that's not how we think about it it's just right. like when you're writing your average earnings report as a club right. reporter right. you're like right. starbucks you know, did X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah. It beat earnings, and so you started getting this, getting into this mindset that like because they beat earnings by a penny a share, the company's doing well, and you're never incentivized to look under the hood and be like, what the fuck is Starbucks doing to its employees? Like, right. <laughs> is it nest? Would it be net? Would it be okay for them to not beat by a penny a share if they allowed people to have a regular schedule?
0: And and, and are they a good CEO? Right? I mean, that's like the, the the mark of whether or not they're a successful CEO is whether or not they are maximizing shareholder value. And, you know, dividends and other aspects of their profit going to
1: pay, you know, like that that's the effectiveness of their of their job performance. I I think you're right, Katie. I think I would add though, there's another type of reporter who is also a problem, (laughs) which is the one who is sort of anti-capitalist, you know, or you know, doesn't believe in in the in like you know, profit as the ultimate motive and wants to see companies do altruistic things and then gets like sucked into these like total greenwashing, like marketing by these big companies that, you know, and then write about like it as Pepsi. if they are altruistic. <laughs> it's like almost like an aspirational thing. And the sad thing is, and this, Eric, you kind of made this point. It's like somehow we have a hard time telling the difference between the greenwashing and then like genuine efforts like Patagonia here, like with somebody who I think is the real deal, you know, doing trying to do the right thing. It's just, you know, it's just, it is kind of sad. Right. The way I see it too is
0: like, I think... What you have to accept with Chouinard is that he's a capitalist, and he is going about this in the best possible way that capitalism will allow for, which is putting this company in the, you know, in in the responsibility of or like, like with the stewardship of someone whose sole goal is to further, that initiative. Now, if you don't believe that capitalism uh, what's, can... What's the best version after that? Like, well, well, it's if you don't believe that capitalism is the right model okay, for, well for, for fighting global warming. I know. I'm sick of this. Like, I'm sick well, of but, it. So that's an argument you can have, though. But I, I think I think the mistake people make is thinking that there's some better way within the system right. that he could have done it, which I just don't agree with. Within now, the you system? You, what's this magical new system? Like, Exactly.
3: I, I, it's like the only other thing <laughs> he could have done is run for office, become a senator, <laughs> and pass legislation. Other than that, he's using the tools he's given like so here's not. what
1: i think we should i think he should be given credit. to become more than just one senator to
3: right he'd have to clone himself become 20-ish right. senators from key swing states and by the way if
0: their profit was being used towards that technology i think you have something here i think it'd be a real surprise if patagonia was secretly working with you know CRISPR and and was working on cloning <laughs> oh, but um, that's a
2: different direction
0: yeah uh but no i, I think yeah. I, I guess it's just more like accepting that the system has, this is the best possible outcome it could have. And if you believe in it, then it, it deserves, it serves accolades is, is
1: sort of where I stand with it all.
0: Also, we should acknowledge that it won't do anything. and Global warming is inevitable, but that's a side point.
1: I, I just think it would be so incredible if Patagonia just keeps on going forever, like as this great, you know, employee friendly company yeah. where people go surfing at lunch in Ventura and, you know, they sell cool clothes that, you know, high end or whatever, and. You know, they try to do their best. They're not going to obviously save the world, but they'll try to do their best. Like that would be incredible. Like that's a result I never would 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 have expected.
2: Yeah, and small businesses are you know like not it's not that small. What it's like a three billion dollar company, but yeah, we want more companies of that size to succeed. I think that's that's the dream. So um, yeah, we have a moment of optimism here. Uh, Tom, yeah. I think, is still scrambling to find some way to be cynical about it, but I'm not nope. sure.
0: No, he... <laughs> as I've said, if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna believe in the system, then this is the best possible outcome. Yeah, this is this is not the podcast to take down the system. Well, look, we got exactly what we wanted out of Reed, which was with some interesting thinking. We got some some good thoughts. We got some optimism here. It's everything you wouldn't get out of me, but you got out of Reed. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. Uh, anyway, Reed, thanks. Thanks so much for joining. Congrats on the launch of Semaphore.
1: When's it
2: launch? Do we know? Is there a date?
1: It's going to be next. We haven't announced an exact date, but you know, you know, we'll say in the fall. Not exactly sure what I'm allowed to say right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But this was so much fun. I, you know, it was great. It was like, you know, even better than a phone call catch up. So. (laughs) 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 And your kids are not like
0: breaking down the door trying to get in. So I'm glad we gave you. Which is actually kind of scary. Yeah. What's going on out there?
2: I love to imagine that our phone call
0: catch ups are just like, uh, let's argue about the substantive
2: issues for like an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> right, as opposed to like,
3: <laughs> like, I ate too much last night.
0: Right, exactly. Right. All right. Thanks, Reed. Thank you.
1: Bye. Faly. Goodbye. Goodbye. Prat- Pas- Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.